Well, good morning again, LC. How's everybody feeling so far? You braved the weather. You know, as a pastor, you always get nervous when it starts raining before a service. You're going, come on, people. You can do it. You can make it through the rain. So, man, I'm excited that you're here this week. We're in the second week of our series titled Minefield. How many of you were here last week? You heard the message last week? Last week, we laid the foundation. Uh, for people that weren't here, man, I would encourage you to go online, livingchurch.com, and listen to that. If you were here, should they go and listen to last week's message? Would that be good for them? So, please, go listen to it. Also, last week, we launched... Um, our live uh, video recording, and so we've recorded the services through video. We posted that last week on a number of our social media platforms. We're working on rebranding our website, so once we get all that all done, it'll all be in one place, but go to our social media platform. You can find that and watch the service from last week, and man, we're excited about everything God has been doing and continue to do throughout this series. So last week, we laid the foundation, and we looked at the truth that the mind is where the battle begins, that our mind is really the battlefield, that everything, every difficulty that we face, we have to walk through in life, it all starts with a thought. It's all here in our head. And we realize that in life we have an enemy, and his name is the devil, Satan. And south of the border, he's known as Diablo, right? And the devil, he wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy the energy, the vitality, the direction of our life. And he does that through our thought life. He does that through laying landmines in the minefield. And so as we go throughout life, we have to learn how to navigate the minefield so we don't step on something that he laid out with his goal of blowing us up and stopping our forward progress in life. And we do that through looking at the thoughts that we're thinking. And in the same way that on the cartoons we watched as little kids, remember Bugs Bunny, a little uh, angel would pop up and a little devil would pop up. It's, very, it's like that very much so in our life, that there will be a devil who's in our ear trying to speak negative things into our mind, speak negative things into our heart. And we learned last week that the devil plays the long game, that he doesn't make you insecure now as an adult, but he tried to make you insecure years ago as an eight-year-old when you got picked last on the kickball team. He tried to start making you insecure back then. And so we have to be intentional about how we navigate this minefield. And we, we went a little Bill Nye the Science Guy last Sunday, and we looked at the mechanics of the brain. And we learned that the brain and the mind are separate. They're not the same thing. That the brain is connected to the flesh, the brain's connected to the body, but our mind is connected to our spirit. And because of that, it means that our mind, it can be uh, redeemed, it can be surrendered, and it can be led by the Holy Spirit. And so in our lives, on a daily basis, we can control the thoughts that we have in our mind. But the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks, as a woman thinks, that kind of guides and directs the direction of your life. And as you think, your mind controls your brain. And so your brain builds literal new uh, protein-based neurological pathways. It grows dendrites and synapses and creates the neurological pathways for neurons, which are just ideas to flow through simply. And the more you think about something, the clearer the path is that you can walk it. And so we have to be careful about what we're thinking, because if we think the wrong thing, our brain builds pathways to get us somewhere we shouldn't be. But if we're thinking the right thing, then it helps us think in a positive direction. There's a three-minute recap. Was that okay? And so we've learned that in our lives, we're the architects of our brain, that our mind determines what our brain does. So we have to be careful about what we're thinking. And the message last week was left on a little bit of a cliffhanger because we talked about the importance of our thoughts. But at the end, we said there are two things that we need to do to navigate the minefield. And we said this. We said that we need to take our thoughts captive and we need to renew our mind. And I said, come back next week and we'll talk about how. So here you are. Welcome. Glad that you're here. We're going to talk about this morning how we can take our thoughts captive. Now, it's important that we renew our mind. 
that we get the old stuff out, that we deal with what was said to us when we were kids. It's important to get that stuff out. But before we focus on renewing our mind, we have to learn how to capture negative thoughts. Because there's no reason to clean something if you're just going to let it get all filled up and dirty again. So today we're going to talk about how to capture the negative things that can come into our minds and into our thoughts. You know, an idea that we've seen before is that a thought, an idea, is like a light bulb. It's like something that just pops up in your head, and it just pops up in your mind, and the light turns on. And now this idea, this thought, is just running around in your brain, and it starts to become running around in your life. But it's these thoughts, it's these ideas that we have to be intentional to capture, that we have to be intentional to hold on, because we can't just let all the lies of the enemy turn into thoughts in our mind, because if we do, they're going to control the steps of our life. And so throughout the message today, the, the text that I'm going to be preaching from is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 6, starting in verse 3. So if you have your Bible, open it up. If you've got it on your phone, you can pull it there. If you're going to tweet it, tweet it, baby. It's good. It's God's word. It's powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read it a couple times, but let me read it for you right now. It says this, starting in verse 3. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons, uh, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Everyone say demolish. demolish. Y'all know I like that word, to demolish strongholds. And it goes on. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretense, every idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of obedience once your obedience is complete. So the Bible tells us that for us to be able to contain our thoughts, that the first thing we need to do is we need to demolish the strongholds. Everyone say stronghold. We need to demolish the strongholds. A number of months ago, uh, we did a series over Joshua called Pursue the Promise, and we talked about the life of Joshua. And one of the most famous stories about Joshua is Joshua and the walls of yeah, y'all know Joshua and the walls of Jericho, right? And so we learned a little bit about Jericho, that Jericho was a stronghold in the promised land that Jericho itself was built on a hill. It was a high place, but it was only eight acres and was surrounded in walls and heavily protected and fortified. And because Jericho was there, the enemy had control of the region. So they had control of a lot of land, a lot of place, because they had a stronghold. And you know the same thing happens in our mind? That we can think we have control of a lot of different places, but if we allow the enemy to have a stronghold to build a high place, that he really has dominion over a lot of our thoughts. Because you can start thinking one thing in a negative direction, and before you know it, you're thinking negatively about a lot of different things, and it's because of the stronghold. But the Bible says that what we need to do is we need to demolish the strongholds. You see, God spoke to the people of Israel, uh, his people back in Numbers. He said this in Numbers 33, 52. He says, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carven images and their cast idols. And demolish, there's that word again, all of their high places. You see, the first thing to, make, to take your thoughts captive is to identify your stronghold. And all of us have them. All of us have ideas or thoughts or concepts or things that are in our life that have turned into strongholds. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's negativity. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's the fact that you got abandoned. Maybe it's a sin issue or an addiction issue. All of us have things in our life that the enemy, throughout the duration of our life, has been speaking lies. And he's been trying to build High places, strongholds. If you go to an airport, every airport you go to, they're going to have a control tower, right? And the control tower is elevated above everything else. And the guys in the control tower, they have authority. 
And because they have a different perspective, they're able to say, you know, sir, yes, you can land your plane. Oh, it's time for you to take off. Hey, buddy, you better get off the runway. A 747's coming in, right? And so they have control of what's happening there at the airport because they are at a high place. Jericho was a high place, so it had control. And in our mind, the devil, he wants to set up high places. He wants to get us thinking things that we shouldn't be thinking. What we need to do is have an attitude that will demolish those negative thoughts. We need to get rid of the negative ideas. We need to get rid of the, 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 the things that lead to sin and, and hurt our lives. You see, the way that we demolish thoughts and ideas in our mind is with truth. Amen? The way that we demolish thoughts and ideas that go against what God teaches is with truth. You see, the Bible tells us that the devil, the enemy, Diablo, that what he is, is he is the father of all lies. That's how he's defined. The father of all lies, that he is a lie. That when he speaks, he lies, and that's his native tongue. It's his most natural way to communicate is to lie. So on one side of the coin, we have the devil who is a liar, but then the Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So the way that we combat the lie, the way that we combat the negative thing that builds strongholds in our life is to establish some truth. We have to be intentional with truth. And you see, the Bible says, I just read it out of 2 Corinthians. It says, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. So you see, to demolish the wrong idea, we have to be intentional. So what happens is the enemy comes along and he tries to get these ideas and he screws them into our mind. And so now we have these concepts and these thoughts that are in our mind, and he tries to get us to direct our steps based off of what he provides. But the way that we demolish the lie is by picking up a tool of demolition. And so the only way to demolish a lie is with truth. He's the father of all lies, but yet God is the God of truth. So what we need to do is we need to arm ourselves with some truth. And once we get some truth in our hand, and the enemy comes to us and he says, hey, you don't match up. Hey, you're not good enough. Hey, you've sinned so much that God doesn't love you. Then what we can say is say, you know what? That's not what my Bible says. That's not God's truth. So with that, I'm going to demolish that stronghold. That thing is not welcomed in my life anymore. It's not something I'm going to allow to lead me in my life. Now, we have to pick up a weapon that is enabling us to defeat the things in our lives. Now, sometimes we have things that come along in life that have been there for a while. And what the devil does is he takes time to lie to us. And he starts when we're young. And instead of the thought that's been initiated in our mind being a little simple glass bulb, is it turns into something that's more established. It has more wattage. It has more power. It's been created to resist weather. It's made to be strong. And so what happens is over time, the devil, what he does is he takes that thought and he gets it and he begins to keep screwing it in our mind. And so we get that thought and it becomes established and it's something that we just can't stop doing. You ever felt like you want to stop doing something, but you just can't stop doing it? And you're like, I know what I should do, but I I do what I don't want to do. And so what you do is you get the truth that you have, and you come over to this thing, and you do your best to break it, but you just can't. And you see, what happens is, is as we grow, as we get older, our problems grow too. Remember the problems you used to have when you were 10, 11, 12 years old? They were really heavy back then, but now as an adult, you have bigger problems. Now as an adult, you have bigger lies. So you know what that means? That means you need to change in your truth for some bigger truth. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with Sunday school faith. 
It's important. You having your kids in church is, imp- is important for their life because they're learning how to wield truth. They're learning how to demolish strongholds in their little minds. But if you're now a grown man or a grown woman and the same quotient of truth that you wield is the same thing you had when you were 10 years old, you're going to be unable to break the lies. This is good, y'all. 11 o'clock. This is good preaching. And so what we have to do is we have to turn in our small portion of truth for a little bit bigger truth. And so once we get some bigger truth and we say, you know what, I'm not just going to live by the faith that I used to have, but I'm going to develop myself. I'm not only going to be fed on Sundays when someone's spood feeding truth, but I'm going to crack my Bible open at home. I'm going to listen to worship music when I drive around town. I'm going to listen to a podcast about what I'm struggling with. I'm going to get into a discipleship group. So what happens is, is you expand your truth. And you get stronger and you get powerful. And that thing in your mind that you were unable to defeat before, (laughs) now it's not even a challenge. Now it's not even a problem. Now the devil thought that it was strong and thought that it was powerful. But what you did is you expanded your truth. Your truth became greater and became more powerful than the lies that he was spoken over you. Now, some of you are thinking, trust me, that's cute, but you don't know the thing that I've been going through. You don't know the difficulty in my life. You don't understand. You don't understand what my dad did to me. You don't understand what my mom did to me. You don't understand the negative words that have been spoken over my mind and over my heart. You don't understand. You don't understand the addiction. You don't understand the heritage. You see, my my dad was an alcoholic. And my grandfather was an alcoholic, so that means that I, I just have to be an alcoholic. You don't understand. My parents were divorced, and because they were divorced, that means that I'm, I'm doomed for failure. And what happens is sometimes the enemy, he comes along, and what he does is he tries to establish this greater lie. And over time, it goes from a little tiny glass light bulb into a, into a big weather-resistant light bulb into a gigantic high-power lumen work light. And now our life is being led by the lie of the enemy. And what we can do is we can try to break it. We can come to church and we can pray and we can try to deal with it. But you know what happens? It's powerful. It's got a big cage and a big metal surround and it's big and it's not breakable. And so what we have to do, again, is we have to trade our truth in for something a little bit bigger. We have to trade our truth in for something that has a little bit more power behind it, that has some oomph and you see, the Bible says this. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So we have to upgrade the truth that we're wielding. We have to upgrade the truth that we're wielding, y'all. We can't just live off Sunday school faith. This is a season of health. And so if you want to get healthy in your mind and you want to make some changes, you have to be intentional. You got to put the little hammer down and you've got to go to life group. And you got to say, you know what, I, I need to grow in my relationship with God. When we launch... Uh, discipleship classes, you've got to go to a discipleship class. When we have uh, op- opportunities for you to come in and learn about freedom, you have to go and get free, so you've got to take some time. You've got to say, I'm going to put my hammer down. I'm going to pick up some new truth. Because this thing the enemy's placed in my life is big and it's bright. It's messed me up long enough. So you've got to go away and pray. And you say, God, I need you to speak to me, and I need you to give me some more truth, and then you can walk out with a whole new ability, with a whole new power. And you can say, you know what? The things that have been holding me down the things that have been stopping me, no more. It's a season of health. I'm done. And what you need to do is you need to borrow a line from one of my favorite rappers from the early 90s, and you need to look at the devil and say, hey, devil, it's hammer time. <laughs> and, say, and say, no more. You can't be in my life. You can't be in my marriage. You can't be operating in me anymore. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And say, that thing may have been blazing bright in my life, but no more. But you see, the way that we gain victory is by increasing our truth. We have to increase our truth. We have to be intentional in our mind 
to develop ourselves and not only live life with a Sunday school level faith. It's important for kids, but they got Sunday school level problems. We got problems that the devil's trying to mess up our family, mess up our future, deter what God has called us to do. And we got to get mad and we got to smash it. And we got to say, hey, devil, it's hammer time. It's hammer time. It's hammer time. And you see, the great thing is after you say it's hammer time, the next words out of your mouth need to be. You can't touch this. You see, because what the devil wants to do is make you think he's going to come back. But you say, devil, it's hammer time. And you follow that up with, you can't touch this. You can't touch my heart. You can't touch my mind. You can't touch my family. Devil, you cannot touch this. Because once you make the decision that you are free, the Bible says that you are free indeed. Now watch. Y'all don't know this, but my man, uh, my man MC Hammer was preaching. So he said, it's hammer time. It's hammer time. Then he said, you can't touch this. And then he said, what you got to do is you got to pray just to make it today. And after you install prayer in your life, you know what you can do? You can look at the devil and say, hey, devil, I'm too legit to quit. I'm too legit to quit. You can't mess with me anymore. You know what that is? That's the MC Hammer Life Change Compilation. You just put it together, and you empower with the word of God, and you look at the lie of the devil, and you say, devil, it's hammer time. I'm done. And y'all, we got to get serious. We can't just talk about season of health, and we can't just complain about our problems, but we have to take some time, get away, trade in our truth for something more powerful, and we have to destroy, we have to demolish the stronghold that the devil puts in our life. Is that true? Give the Lord a hand, because that's some truth right there. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is a big hammer. Philippians 4, verse 8 is a big hammer. Here's what it says. It says, finally, my brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, you know, it sounds like it's talking about my wife, Rachel, whatever things are lovely, they're right there, uh, I'm working this pulpit, y'all, and then it goes on and says this, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praise, think on these things, and so what we need to do to increase our truth is think on this. We need to install God's word in our mind and in our heart and in our life. And when we think on his ideas, when we think on his truths, it gives us the power to demolish the strongholds the enemy sets up. 2 Corinthians 10, let me read it again. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. We don't carry around physical hammers. We carry around spiritual hammers of truth. And then it says this, on the contrary... They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Here it is. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your disobedience, once your obedience is complete. You see, we have to walk into the minefield with the idea, with the plan to demolish. We can't just live this like, well, we'll see what happens life. We can't just go with the flow in our faith. We have to make a decision that says, I'm in a season of health. I'm not going to think this way anymore. I'm not going to be overtaken by these emotions or overtaken by these thoughts anymore. My emotions don't control me. I control them. The mind is over the brain. But it starts with the intent of saying, I have expectation that I can do this. We have to take it captive. And when I was a younger man, I used to think that, you know, when I would have a tempting thought, I would just have to try to let it go. 
If I started to get angry, I would say, oh, I just got to let it go. If I started to have a battle with lust, I would have to say, oh, don't, don't think about it. Just let it go. Just, just let it go. But you know what I've learned about things that you let go? They come back. They come back. Negative thoughts are like a boomerang. You throw it, and you walk away, and you think you're okay because you let it go, and then you get whopped back in the head, and it hits you again. And before you know it, you're being defeated, and the thing is back in your life. You can't just let it go. The Bible says that you have to take it captive. Because after you let it go, it comes back with backup. And I don't have time to teach that concept, but it's biblical. That if you try to cast something out and you aren't intentional and get it out, that it comes back with backup. That it comes back into your life to try to restrain you even worse. So we have to go in with the intent to capture. Now, I've never really captured anyone. And if you've ever captured anyone, uh, come and talk to a prayer partner after service, right? Like, we gotta, we got to work that out. But there are some people in our society that understand what it means to take people into captivity. I'm honored uh, in my life to have some friends that are police officers, some men and women of the law force, of the, you know, that, serve, uh, that serve our city and serve our community, and I call them friends. And as I've gotten to know them and talk to them about the decisions that they have to make when bringing someone into captivity, if they're taking a warrant, that there's a lot of things that they have to do. Now, the Bible says that we do not wage war as the world does. So the things that guys on a SWAT team do even though we don't physically do that, they are very similar to what we have to do in our mind. My friend Adam uh, here in the front row is a firefighter and an EMT, and he's on Dallas SWAT. So if the, if the zombie apocalypse happens, you want to be hanging out with Adam, right? And so I talked to Adam. I said, hey, Adam, tell me a little bit. Every time we hang out, we have dinner, I'm asking him questions. What's happening? What's going down? He's talking to me about calls, and maybe you shouldn't be telling me that. I don't know, but he's talking to me about stuff that's happening. And so I've been learning. I've been learning about what has to happen, that if you're going in to serve a warrant on a house, there are some things that happen. And you know, any time that they would go to serve a warrant, they have to, number one, be prepared. They have to get prepared. That before you go into a confrontational situation, you have to get prepared. SWAT team doesn't show up in basketball shorts and a t-shirt. No, they show up in their tactical gear. They got some boots on and their bulletproof vests and some walkie-talkies. I don't know what they got. They got a whole bunch of stuff, and they go in and they get prepared. And you see, 2 Corinthians tells us to be prepared to do battle in the minefield. It says this. I already read it. Let me read it again. It says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, and we will be ready being ready is just preparation. We will be ready to punish every act of disobedience. And so what they do before they go in to take someone captive is they get ready. They put on the clothes, but then they bring some other stuff. And so I asked my friend Adam to let me borrow some things, and I was hoping he was going to bring me battering rams and AR-57, AK-47s and like one of them big trucks with a battering ram on the front. But he brought me some good stuff. He said, well, you know what you have to do? You have to have on yourself a flashlight. But you see, the enemy is the one who's trying to guide you. The enemy's trying to get ideas in your heart, but what you have to do is you have to have some ideas that God says says for you. And you have to say, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to obey what this light says, not what the enemy says. And then he said, there's some other stuff that you've got to have. You've got to definitely have a pair of handcuffs. Because you see, when you find someone that you want to put into captivity, what you have to do is you have to have a way to detain them. Because something is a lot easier to control once it's detained. So you get some handcuffs, and then you detain the person. He said, the other thing that you have to have is a weapon. Now, I really wanted a taser, but that would have been dangerous, when, especially when I'm smashing stuff. But he said, what you have to have is a weapon. Because what you don't want is to find yourself in a situation where you're unarmed, where you aren't able to defend yourself against a perpetrator. And can I tell you something, church? God's already armed us. And the way that we can be prepared is not with physical weapons, but with spiritual weapons that have power to demolish strongholds in our lives. And so we have to have a season of preparation 
where we say, I'm going to pick up the things that God tells me to so I can go into battle. Now, I don't have time to preach this whole idea. I thought of it in worship in this service. That before they go in to uh, capture someone, before they bring someone into captivity, there's some other things they have to have. They have to have backup, right? You have to have backup. You don't, you don't charge a house alone. You've got some backup. And some of you got some heavy stuff in life that you can't, ta- that you can't tackle alone. You can't tackle it. Maybe whatever's going is so hard and so heavy, you can't pick up that hammer. Well, call in backup and someone can help you. A pastor, a life group leader, somebody here at the church can help you. You know who else they have on call? They got EMTs on call. Because sometimes you go into a fight and you get hurt. And so they call in the EMTs and say, I I don't have time to preach this. And they say, you got to send somebody in here to help me. And every single Sunday, we got a line of EMTs here at Living Church. And so when you go out into the minefield and start getting beat up, you can come to someone and say, I need some help. I need you to encourage me. I don't got time. I got to keep going. So the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So church, in just a few minutes before we close, I'm going to give you some homework. I'm going to give you some homework associated with this point of get prepared, but you've got to hold on. I'm going to get there in a minute. Number two, number one, we've got to get prepared. Number two, we have to identify ourselves. You've got to identify yourself. Before a SWAT team goes in to charge a house, you know what they do? They identify themselves. They say, police. They yell, stop in the name of the law. They yell, freeze. It's the FBI. I don't know who they are, right? They yell something, and they identify themselves. They don't just say, hey, I'm some dude here. They say, no, I have authority to be here. And when we're navigating the minefield, when there's a real enemy, the Bible says that the devil is crouching at our door like a lion seeking whom he can devour. We have a real enemy. And what we have to do is identify ourselves in the battle. You see, there's power in your identity. There's power in your identity. So please, stop identifying yourself with the lie. We identify ourselves with a lie all the time. And we identify ourselves when we say, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I've messed up too bad. I'm not a success. I'm the black sheep of the family. Right? We have all these things that we identify ourselves with as though we aren't enough, but yet God, he calls us chosen sons and daughters. He tells us that we are identified through the blood of Jesus and we can operate in his power. The Bible says this in 2 Philippians, or in Philippians, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. Now, the devil wants to build strongholds in high places, remember? But The Bible says that God exalted Jesus to where? The highest place. That he's the control tower that we listen to. The devil may have put up some control towers in your mind, but you don't listen to their commands anymore. Jesus at the highest place, it goes on and says, and gave him the name that is above all names, and that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Did you know that every accuser in your life will bow to the name of Jesus? Anger will bow. Insecurity will bow. Condemnation will bow. Religion will bow. Everything in your life that's holding you back from a true, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ will bow at his name. So we have to identify ourselves with his name. We have to identify ourselves with the name of Jesus. You know, when David, remember little David, the shepherd boy? When David walked out to fight Goliath, he, he put a stone in his sling and he... And he threw it at Goliath and hit Goliath in the head. And the Bible says when it hit Goliath, it sunk into his forehead and he fell to the ground and died. And I think that a lot of times as pastors, we can preach about how David had prepared 
and how David had practiced and how David had defeated the bear and had defeated the lion. And maybe that, that's part of the reason that the stone killed Goliath. But you want to know the other reason that stone killed Goliath? is because of who David identified himself as when he went into the fight. He didn't say, hey, my name's David, a shepherd boy. I'm here to fight you with my sling. No, look at what he said in 1 Samuel 17, 45. He said, Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin with earthly weapons. But he said, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. He identified himself with God. And so when he threw that stone, what happened is God got behind the stone and gave it a little bit of oomph. And living church, in your battle for your mind, you've got to identify yourself with the name of Jesus and get some oomph behind your stone. You get some oomph behind that thing. When you declare it's hammer time, it's not hammer time in your power. It's hammer time in the power of God. And that he will get behind your swing, and then through that you can demolish the lies of the enemy. You have to demolish those things through Christ's name. And I've, I've fallen to the mistake to think that my ability to change my life is controlled by how much willpower I have. Now, willpower is important, okay? You need to have willpower. You need to work on establishing your willpower. But willpower is fleshly. But you see, identifying yourself in Christ is spiritual. You gain a whole new power. God promised us a comforter who will empower us through the Holy Spirit. And it's in that that we can demolish the strongholds in our life. We've got to get mad and get sick of losing. We've got to get sick of it. We've got to identify ourselves with Jesus. You realize that the devil, he thought he won. He thought he won. He thought he got us. He thought that he got Judas to betray Jesus and some guys to capture Jesus and put him on a cross and crucify him. And when Jesus breathed his last breath and said, it is finished, the devil thought that he won. But what he didn't know is all he had done is kill the body of Jesus, but he couldn't kill the spirit. And so the devil's down in hell throwing a party like he just won the fight. And guess who came knocking on the door? It was Jesus. And he said, yo, devil, it's hammer time. And the Bible says that Jesus went to Satan. He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And on the third day, he rose again victorious. Church, I'm preaching better than y'all. Let me no 11 o'clock I know it's raining outside but come on now and the Bible tells us that not only was he victorious then but someday Jesus will return on a white horse with a sword in his hand and he's going to put his boot heel to the throat of the devil and say it's hammer time again you see we have victory in the name of Jesus and so when you start thinking that negative thought don't attack it with your willpower attack it with the name of Jesus say in the name of Jesus I don't have to think this in the name of Jesus I don't have to be insecure in the name of Jesus I don't have to be addicted to this thing in the name of Jesus I don't have to look at these images anymore in the name of Jesus we have power when we identify with it we have to identify ourselves with Jesus number three the thing that we have to do before we go to uh, bring something into captivity number three is we have to incarcerate it everyone say incarcerate that's where these come involved. That's when we say, you know what, we have to take that thing that was meant for my destruction and we have to handcuff it. We have to put some bracelets on it and we have to throw it in the back of our squad car and we have to say, I got you. I got you locked up. We have to incarcerate that thing. And Jesus told us in John 16, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've already overcome the world. I've already given you the power, to the, the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I gave you the keys to get you out of what you've gotten yourself into. That through Jesus, we can incarcerate those thoughts. And you see, we got to get mad, church. Yeah. we got to get mad. we got to get mad at the thoughts. we got to get mad at the things that have set up high place in our life and are stopping us from reaching our full potential. We've got to get mad. And we got to say, no more. Devil, no more are you going to have control of my family. No more are you going to have control of my thoughts. No more do you have control of my emotions. No more. you got to say no to the devil. you got to say no to the lies. you got to say no to hell. you got to say no hell. No hell, you can't be in my marriage anymore. 
No, hell, you can't be in my family anymore. No, hell, you can't be in my finances anymore. You got to look at hell straight in his face and say, hell, no. Hell, no. You got to look to the devil and say, hey, devil, hell no. Hell no. You can't have that in my life. Now, some of y'all getting mad and some of y'all getting antsy. That's okay. Don't, don't get scared on me now. I'm not up here swearing. What I'm doing is saying that you've got to get mad. You see, we'll drive in traffic. We'll be driving in traffic. Y'all know I'm about to tell the truth. And someone will cut you off. They'll cut you off and you'll get all bent out of shape. And you get all mad. And you start saying all kind of stuff under your breath. But yet you let the devil steal, kill, and destroy your life for a decade. And you never look at him and say, hell no. You gotta say, devil, hell no. I'm done with living this lie. I'm done with allowing you to ruin my life. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. I know I'm making some of y'all scared. I'm making some of you scared. I'm not up here swearing, I promise. We just have to look at the things in life that are negative and controlling us. We have to say no. We have to say no. We have to say no more. I'm done with these lies. When fear rises up, we say no. When anger rises up, we say no. When resentment rises up, we have to say no. No, you're not allowed. It's hammer time. Like, I'm going to take you captive, and then I'm going to smash you. So we have to incarcerate these things. Number four. Number four, we have to interrogate it. Interrogate it. We have to, we have, to have an interrogation. We have to pull that thing aside. We have to lock up in Gu Guantanamo Bay, and we have to waterboard it until it tells us the truth. We have to interrogate the negative thoughts in our life. Now, I, thankfully, I've never been interrogated, and I, I don't think I'm ever going to have to interrogate anybody, but yet in my life, I feel as though I have a lot of experience with interrogation because I've seen Rambo, and I've watched Jason Bourne movies, right? I've seen James Bond. I watched all nine seasons of 24 with Jack Bauer, and I'm currently watching Chicago PD. So I feel like I have an idea of what Adam does in the SWAT team if they have to interrogate someone in some little back room. And so what they do for an interrogation is they take them and they pull them aside and they begin to ask them some questions. They begin to ask them questions. And if you get this church, it'll change your thought life, I promise. It'll change your thought life if you get this. They pull the perpetrator. They pull the bad guy. They pull the terrorist. You know, we have terrorist thoughts. The enemy brings terrorist thoughts into our mind to try to blow up our destiny. And so we have to pull that terrorist into a back room, interrogate them. And here's the two questions we ask. Number one, we say, who sent you? And number two, why are you here? Who sent you? Who sent you? And why are you here? Who sent you into my mind? Who sent you? And why are you here? So the things that send, there are two places that a negative thought can, their thought can be sent from. It can be sent from our flesh, or it can be sent from our spirit. Now, there's some thoughts that don't matter. If I put on a blue shirt or a red shirt, that doesn't matter. But as far as navigating the minefield, there are two places thoughts can come from. They can come from a holy place or an unholy place. And so if you look at a thought and say, nope, you are not from God. God did not send you into my mind. You came from the enemy. You came from the accuser of the brethren. You came from the one who's trying to destroy me. You now know you got the right guy. You got the right guy. So now the interrogation continues. Question number two is why are you here? Why are you here? What is your goal? Why are you in this country? What, why, why were you there? What were you trying to destroy? What were you trying to blow up? What was your intent? That's what we have to ask the thought. Why are you here? What was your intent? And so let's just say that the thought that you capture and you're interrogating is jealousy. So you capture jealousy, you bring it in, you lock it up, and you start to ask jealousy, why are you here? Well, well you'll, you'll learn some things. Because remember, every knee will bow under the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, why are you here? And then you're going to gain some wisdom and some knowledge in the minefield. And you'll be able to realize, okay, well, the reason that jealousy is here is to get me frustrated at somebody else. Because they have something I don't have, and so that makes me jealous of them. And so, you know, I'm coveting something they have. Well, that's a sin, so that can't be 
godly. And so what happens then is we're now we're jealous of the thing that they have. And because we're frustrated with them, we're now kind of mad at God. Because we're saying, well, God, you provided that for them. Why didn't you provide that for me? Well, that's not from God, so that's, that's why you're here. Or maybe the reason that you're here is so that I'll be jealous with that person, and I won't want to spend time with them, so now I'll remove myself from them and the people that they're connected to, and now I'm not in community. And when I'm not in community, now I'm living on an island, and I don't have a relationship in my life, and that goes against what God says. But you see, the reason you gain all of that knowledge is because you ask the question, who sent you, and why are you here? So next time you're having a bad thought, ask them two questions. Say, in the name of Jesus, I capture you. In the name of Jesus, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to lock you up. I'm going to tie you to this table, and I'm going to ask you some questions. And when they identify why they're there, it's really easy to lock them up. Because you know how when you sin, you feel horrible afterwards? Have you ever eaten an entire pizza? You know the feeling after you eat an entire pizza? I do, trust me. And you feel horrible. You're like, why did I do this to myself? I did it again, right? But if you could remember that feeling before the first bite, you wouldn't have eaten anything. And so we have to remember why they are there. We've got to interrogate it. We need to treat our negative thoughts like the TSA treats people that are trying to get on an airplane. You know the TSA? You go to take a flight, what do you got to do? You got to take off your shoes, you got to take off your belt, you got to empty your pockets, and you got to walk through a metal detector. We can't just let thoughts wander into our mind, y'all, because there's somebody who's trying to get negative thoughts in. And so when we have a thought, we have to say, no, 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 I'm going to pull you over, I'm going to interrogate you. You got to look at your thought and say, take your shoes off, take your belt off, empty your pockets, you got to put on the rubber gloves and say, I'm going to search you because I don't want nothing negative coming into my life. And we have to do the same thing with our thought life. We have to interrogate it. Number five is the band comes. Number five. Once we capture that thing, we then have to monitor their captivity. We have to monitor the captivity of the lie. Because if you put something into captivity and never monitor it, what's going to happen is they're going to start planning an escape. You ever seen Shawshank Redemption? Remember Shawshank? It's the best movie, right? What happened? He ordered a little rock hammer. He's got a little rock hammer, and late at night he's chiseling his way out. And before he knew it, he escaped. And what happens if we don't monitor the lies and the negative things in our life, what happens is we get Shawshanked. We get tricked. The, the things in our life that we had placed in captivity, they escape. But when they escape, they go and get some friends, they get some backup of themselves, and they come to attack us even harder. Because the enemy is always going to attack you in a place that you have failed before. I don't have time to preach that. But he will attack you in a place that he had success. So if he knows he's got you with anger, he's going to keep picking. If he knows he can get you with lust, he's going to stay there. If he knows he can get you with insecurity, maybe you got over it and you called Hamatom a year ago, but he knows, oh, I can get her again with insecurity. So you have to monitor their captivity. One more scripture, Psalms 119.11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart. Last week we learned that the heart and the mind are similar, that they're connected, that you could trade them out. I have hidden in my mind your word. You see, your spiritual development cannot only be based off of what is said on a Sunday morning. Your spiritual development has to be based about what you feed yourself. Get on a Bible reading plan. Talk to one of our life group leaders. Talk to a pastor here. Go to Google and search in Bible reading plan. I don't know, but find some things that you can instill in your life to create power so you can trade in your hammer and you can have some more authority over the negative thoughts the enemy wants to plant in your mind. Living Church, would you stand with me before we close? I got one more thing. You know, we said a whole lot today 
And you might be thinking, Tristan, that's good. I, I got it. I feel like I have a handle on what I need to do. But how do I remember all those things? I can turn the entire sermon into three words. I just really wanted to smash some stuff, so I took longer than that, right? But three words, three words can really help you have victory over thought. Here, here's what you need to do. First, you need to identify. Identify the thing that's the lie. Identify the stronghold. Number two, you need to incarcerate it. You need to capture that thing with truth. Throw truth at it, incarcerate it, and then last, you need to interrogate. Identify, incarcerate, interrogate. Identify, incarcerate, interrogate. Identify, incarcerate, interrogate. And if you can remember to do that, you write it on your phone, right? You put a note in your pocket. If you can remember to do those things when the negative thoughts come, you will have power in the name of Jesus to overcome any obstacle that's thrown against you. Now, I told you I was going to give you some homework. And so, ladies, you're going to love me. And fellows, I might make some of you frustrated. But ladies, I give all of you permission to spend some money this week. You have permission. Pastoral permission. I don't know if that's even a thing, but I give you permission. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to Hobby Lobby. I need you to go to Michael's. I need you to get on Amazon. I need you to go somewhere, and I need you to go and buy some of them fancy little chalkboards. You know the little fancy chalkboards? My wife has them hanging all over our house. If you want to get a whiteboard, if you want to go get a little painting, I don't care what you get, but you need to go and get something that you can hang around in your home. That's the job. Men, your job is to figure out what truth do you want to write on it. And you got to start writing some truth in your home. Because what happens is, is the enemy has surrounded us in lies. We live in a world full of manipulation. We live in a world trying to tell us to chase after something that's going to lead to destruction. Have you noticed how on all the commercials selling negative products, everyone's smiling? That's not true. It's a lie. So what we have to do is be intentional about placing truth in our lives around our family. So go and get some chalkboards, man. Go and write some. I'm going to stand at the door next week and ask you, hey, you got a chalkboard? You got one in your bedroom? You got one in your living room? And listen, if you're broke, that's okay. Go buy some sticky notes. It don't matter. But you've got to get some truth up in your life and start reciting God's truth. That's how you trade out hammers. That's how you get rid of the baby hammer and you get a 100-pound monster sledgehammer and you can smash some things in your life. We have to trade out our faith and our truth for something that is greater and something that is bigger. You know, we serve a great God, amen? That our God is great and that by his name we can have victory. So what I want you to do right now, we're going to go into a moment of worship. We've carved out just a minute here. For you to worship and as you do say, God, I want to declare your greatness over my life. That God, you have authority. You have power. And God, I pray that this week you help me declare hammer time on the things in my life that are hurting me. And I will decide to install truth. Come on, church. Let's worship this morning.